I have three green check marks, and that means that we're live. We're on Facebook, we're on LinkedIn, and we're on YouTube. And uh, welcome, everyone. Well, I can see that uh, viewers are already starting to arrive. So I'm going to play the intro, and then we'll get started. I'm David C. Barnett, and you're tuned in to Small Business and Deal Making, the podcast, YouTube channel, and blog where I talk about buying, selling, financing, and managing small and medium-sized businesses while controlling risk. So if you're looking to take control of your future through buying a business one day, or if you already own a business and you're looking to grow or exit, you've come to the right place. I talk about interesting things, I talk to interesting people, and I answer your questions every week right here. So be sure to hit like and be sure to hit subscribe, and let's get to it. Well, welcome everyone. Uh, hi there to viewers who are starting to come into the stream. Uh, Dave Barnett here, and today today we're going to be talking about vision and intention. But I think to begin with, why don't we have uh, some introductions from my two guests? And uh, Sir Stephen, it's your first time on the show. Why don't we begin with you? Uh, tell us a little bit about your background. Uh, when I was doing some research on you, I, I found that you had a very interesting career in the world of finance. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about that and how you transitioned into what you're doing today? Thank you. I, I will. Um, I, as you said, I was, I've been in finance all of my life, all of my business life, which was in about 30 years. Um, started off in investment banking um, in Germany, of all places, in the uh, mid-1980s, transitioned to um, investment management, and then from there running my own balance sheet um, with a focus on small, medium-sized businesses, um, both private and public. Um, I was responsible for building with a partner one of um, the first publicly quoted restructuring companies in um, in Germany, which was very successful. Um, got into restructuring, deep value, um, distressed for a number of years and transitioned recently during the pandemic when I couldn't travel to any businesses anymore um, to advisory work. And I'm having to say that I love that and have specialized on a process called visioning, um, which is helping business owners be really specific about what their intention is and what their plans are for the business three to five years out outside of their normal planning horizon, which is a very intimate um, and detailed um, uh, consulting program that I do with leaders. Um, and that's, I think, brought me to your studio today. Well, it, it's, I can imagine it's, it's intimate and detailed because what you're what you're asking people to do is to stop being busy and to actually start thinking about what something is going to look like and they have to make some decisions. And I, I, I have, we, we sketched out some of the items we wanted to talk about and I have some ideas about that. Mike, you've been on the show before. Why don't you let anyone who's new uh, have an idea of, of, of who you are and what you do every day? Sure. David, great to be back. Um, I am a uh, eight time small business owner. I've been lucky enough to have four, successful exits and uh, parlayed that experience into my current venture, which is Exit Oasis, where I coach small business owners who are interested in preparing for sale. And so that's kind of brought me to the space that uh, um, that put me in a place where Stephen and I started having some conversations around what is it that keeps small business owners uh, from being able to exit successfully. So um, excited for the conversation today. Well, and the conversation is is really settling around two words because, uh, and, and each of these has come to the table from, from, from one or the other of you, but we're talking about intention and we're talking about vision. And so, so Mike, why don't you begin? What, uh, you're using the word intention. And so how did this first come to light in your work with business owners? Yeah, yeah, great. Um, as I worked my way through the, the four businesses that I sold, uh, it's fair to say that the process got easier with each business, but it never got easy. I was always overwhelmed by the details and complexity involved in this space. It's um, endemic, if you will, uh, for the... Uh, for the space we're in. And what I found is that most small business owners, when they initially decide to scratch the surface on this topic, 
Hey, maybe I could sell my business someday. Hey, maybe I want to buy a business. When they scratch that surface, the thing that they see coming through is chaos, complexity, and you know, just minutia. And I, I really think that most small business owners respond to that reality, to that impact by saying, you know what, I will just deal with this crap when I'm ready to sell. Mm. And so they set it aside, they wait, uh, understandably because of what they're struck with. And you and I both know that the worst thing that a small business owner can do around this topic is wait, because it's almost a guarantee uh, to find themselves struggling when it comes to I'm ready to sell. And so as I was looking at this topic, as I was setting up the business, as I was talking with small business owners and thinking through my own experience, I kept trying to find that catalyst. What is the thing that an owner, a small business owner can use to um, simplify what's out there, but still find a very powerful path through this topic? Um, how can they engage in it in a way that um, is honest and impactful for them, um, but not overwhelmed by, should I use an ESOP or what's the, you know, what's the prime rate here? I, I mean, just that stuff that for me always made my brain explode when it came to can I sell. And for me, I landed on the word intention. Coming to that place where an owner can say, um, I want to create a business I can sell. Uh, that's my intention and everything follows from there. And so I started putting some content out around that and started having some more conversations around it, which led to the conversation that Stephen and I started, um, where we started to explore that intersection, that collision, that um, cohesion between intention and vision. And so that was kind of my journey to intention. Okay. And so, and, and Stephen, you know, when I think of, of vision and planning and whatnot, I don't think about anything that has specifically to do with business ownership or business management. In, in my mind, it's more to do with sort of life planning. Of course, what to do with the business, uh, if you're a business owner, has got to be a big component of that sort of life view. Can you add a little bit and, 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 show us a little bit about what you are talking about when you talk about the a lack of vision? Is it just that the person can't imagine what life will be like after they leave the business? Um, that's part of it. Um, but you're right to point out that the word vision is used in many different contexts. It's got a, it's got a, a semi esoteric um, life planning aspect to it. Um, vision boards are something that we think of with people cutting pictures out of all the lovely things they want to have um, that give them some sort of energy around it. Um, but in, I learned the tech, I learned the specific change management technique of creating a vision of success from a company, from a gentleman called Ari Weinzweig, who some of your viewers may have come across. Um, he runs a business with his partner in Ann Arbor called Zingerman's. They're one of the most famous delis in America. Um, I think they have the best Reuben in the universe, um, according to Zagatz. And they are a small giant. And a small giant um, means they, they're part of the small giant's community. They were featured in Bo Burlingham's book um, that I know that uh, Mike has on his shelf behind him because one of, the one of the first things that I saw when we had our first conversations. And small giants are companies that choose to be great instead of big. And they do a certain, they have a certain number of techniques that they use to manage their businesses. Open book management is one of them. And the other one that was developed by Ari and his partner is, is a very specific process called visioning, which Anybody who knows Stephen Covey and the seven habits of effective people, I think number one is begin with the end in mind. And visioning for business is exactly that. It's a change management process that starts off with the, the, the desired change and then works backwards to the present. And there are a number of different aspects or characteristics that describe the vision in the way that I interpret it. Number one, it has to be really specific. Hmm. Specific in terms of the timing 
or the, the point in time at which you are visioning. It has to be well beyond the planning horizon. In other words, if you're used to doing 12-month budgets or 18-month budgets or rolling 12-month forecasts or whatever it is, it needs to be way beyond that. It needs to be free from any question of how to get there. So you've got to be able to free yourself from the how, which is one of the most difficult things for a business owner or entrepreneur to do because they are constantly thinking of how to solve problems, how to do things, how to get from A to B. This process requires them just to not do that at all and instead leap out into the future at a very specific point, three, five, seven years ahead, depending on the size of the business and a couple of other things, and then to be very specific about what success means. And effectively, they're answering the question, if we do what we say we're going to do consistently and to the best of our ability, where does that lead us? What's the place that we end up in at a very specific point, a milestone? Not to be the end of the business, but it's a milestone in the business that's far enough away for you to if you like, paint that in, in as much detail as possible. And as much detail as possible is describes not only the financial performance of the business, but the culture mm -hmm. of the business, the type of clients that it has, the impact that it has on its market, the, um, the effect of its strategy, the compound effect of living its values genuinely. In other words, if I have a set of values or guiding principles, then sticking to them has to have some sort of compound effect that makes me different from the from a business if I didn't have those. So the compound effect of all of those, doing all of those things over time, added to my own personal ambition, is the vision. And it's a document that is anywhere between, I've never seen one shorter than five pages, and I've seen one as long as 20 that describes in the present tense, in other words, in it's a narrative in the present tense, imagining the future as if it had already happened and letting your sort of fantasy and your imagination within the confines of your business model run free to, to really ex to ex um, explain what it is that, um, that you can see when you're thinking about success. It's interesting. I, I have a little bit of experience with this because in my small business systems program, one of the very first things that we do is we look into the future and I get the business owners to describe what their life looks like. And I, with, with a few basic points, what is your income? How many weeks of vacation do you get? Where do you spend that vacation? Does it involve owning a property? What have you? The whole point is that I want them to get an income figure that will be realistic in order to support that idea in the future, because then we have to then say, well, if the business has to then provide this income figure, what does the business then look like? Because it's usually not the same as it is today. And I can't believe how difficult it is to get people to actually make a statement or a commitment to say, I want five weeks of vacation a year, or I want an income of this amount of money. People just constantly waffle and evade and deflect and just they want to talk in uh, in I don't know what you would call it uh, mushy middle language. You know, well I'm going to be comfortable. Everything's going to be great. Well, no. Well, what does that mean in numbers? And and people don't want to do it. Is, I've is had that... I've had I've had people break down in tears when I force them to do that because it's so freaking hard. We we do not we never learn to say with full confidence what do I actually want? What's going to make me happy? Mm -hmm. What does success look like? It's as long as it's just this vague, you called it mushy, unspecific cloud sometime in the future with no um, accountability for actually getting there. You can live in this unpleasant present with this idea that sometime, some, somewhere in the future it's going to be better, but without ever having to do anything about it. And you can, you can die with that future still unreachable out there and it's very very difficult david it's so it's so interesting you mentioned your your experience because i brought very similar experiences to my interact my initial interaction with stephen because i would i would take clients through exercises where we would reverse engineer their 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 exit right what do you want the what do you want the exit to look like how much what terms da 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 
here's what the business needs to look like in order to produce that result. And we would just start working backwards. And so I, I, when, when Stephen would share some of, of his perspective, it was like, oh, I can see that in this narrow way that I, that I do it. And then it would start to broaden out as we explored further um, the different steps that he would bring. So that I, I had a very similar experience to what you just shared. Well, yeah. And, and, you know, so here's here's a question I'd like to ask you then, Mike. Uh, you're using the word intention. If small business owners don't actually have the intention to exit, then what is their intention? I have an idea, but I'm, I'm curious if you've thought about this. I think the problem is, is that most owners want to, they want to sell, right? They want to exit. Everyone understands rationally that they're going to leave their business someday, either in a casket or in a, right? They're going to leave someday. Um, but the difference between that and a conscious decision, choice, and pursuit of that concept of, intentionally exiting are just very different things. So I, I if it's, it's not for me a, a question for most owners of intention to leave versus intention to not leave. It's intention to leave versus I'll get to that later. It's intention mm -hmm. to leave versus I've got more important things on my plate right now. There's always something on fire on their desk that becomes more important than that other. I, when, when I was thinking about this, I, I started to think about um, what what might be distracting people from from this intention or this vision on exiting. And I and then I came to I had an idea. I don't know if it's right or not. You can tell me what you think. But I when people get into business and we know that most small business people start their business. Right. Mm -hmm. um, there's a very strong vision and intention in that moment. Because people have to work really hard to try to get the enterprise to the point where it can start to provide for them and create that cash flow. And I'm wondering if the intention never properly readjusts. If they, if the intention in getting into the business and creating it and having it run, having it function, having the cash flow, providing for their family, et cetera, and then it gets up and running, but then they don't ever adjust that. They stay focused on that, which keeps them focused on the here and now and what's right in front of me. And That's the, the, the busyness. Again, it's like you were listening in on some of the conversations that Stephen and I had because we went back and forth with these words. I'm not the NSA, Mike. As several times, and it's funny, Stephen. Do you recall what the the trigger, the turning point for us was on that? When we came to the to the three key elements of of a vision that you shared from, I forgot Mises. the general. Yes, yes, that's it. Um, I, I do. Um, the, the, do you want to? Is it a test? Do you want, do you want to <laughs> no, you'll just you'll just share it coherently. Where uh, I would... the, the 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 economist Ludwig von Mises, a famous Austrian economist, um, said that in order to to create change, a business owner has to be dissatisfied with the current situation. He has to have a a vision of what the change he wants will look like. And thirdly, he has to believe that that change is possible. And there are lots of people who are dissatisfied. And I think Mike's sort of basic premise was most business owners are dissatisfied in some form or another in that small business space, or they have a, a sense that they might well be very dissatisfied in the future, but don't want to think about it. They're very vague on the vision bit. And often they're missing a belief that they can actually do something about it. So those three things, the dissatisfaction, the vision, and a belief in their, call it agency, their ability to affect that change and get to that vision, those are the three elements that all have to be in place for somebody to then formulate the intention to do, to act. And to your point, uh, David, um, I think visioning is one of those things that is squarely in the top left hand of the Eisenhower matrix that says, important but not urgent it's mm. really important but it's never urgent until it's too late it's interesting because i i one of the other recollections I, I was having when i was thinking about our conversation tonight is is i have met several small business owners who come to me looking for some kind of help or you know what do you think i could sell my business for or whatnot and the advice sometimes comes back to you need to stop doing this right now so you can go get a job 
Like there's, there's a very big problem and I don't know if it's salvageable and, and you, you've got to stop. And we all hear stories about people who start to perform poorly in their business. And then instead of providing for them, the business starts to consume them, you know, and they, and they start to put their own resources into the business, just hoping something will change, but never really executing any kind of change. And what one, this one woman in particular said to me, she said, I don't even understand what I would have to do if I went in on Monday and I decide to close the business because there's all these customers I have to get back to. And, and she was just basically saying, I'm so busy taking care of customers. I can't even shut down the business, even though it's going to bankrupt me. And, and I said, well, you have to stop serving the customers. That's what it means to end the business. And yet you, you have to tell them they need to go someplace else. Oh, or you need to find someone else in your industry willing to just take over those clients or what or if you want to be amenable to them and like help them out. But you, you've got to stop. The whole point is your hours can't go into this anymore and your dollars can't go into this anymore. But this rhythm of every day had become such a pattern. She just couldn't see how it was going to change. Absolutely. And, and there you refer to a circumstance that is inevitable right? She sees this, this train wreck coming and has no idea uh, how to get out of the way from it. We're talking about even, even going further and saying, now we have to aspire to something. Now we have to change in order to create this. It's not inevitable. It's going to require intention if you're going to do that. But again, to, um, to, to Stephen's point, for me, that dissatisfaction, okay, I get that. I talk about that a lot with small, with small business owners and about small business owners in terms of the pain they experience and the like. But then we get to that second step, and they have to be able to see it different. And I really think, especially as it relates to this exit, that that's where a lot of small business owners um, have a void. Stephen, what, what does a vision need in order to be a properly created vision? Are we talking about something like a smart goal, like specific, measurable, attainable, or, or is there another sort of set of criteria that needs to go into this? Um, I, I had one business owner, if I can answer that with an anecdote. Okay. Um, one business owner who was talking to me about a vision and he ran his business and had been running his business for years entirely on short-term goal metrics. So he would, he would set up goals, half-yearly goals, and then work like hell to knock them out. Then next six months, knock them out. Next six months, knock them out. And he found it, he couldn't see the point of a vision. He said, I've got my goals. I said, well, all right, but what is the sum total of five years worth of six months goals. So 12 sets of your six months goals. Where, where does that take you? And he said, I don't know. It doesn't matter because I've got my goals. And so the, the answer to that, and, I, and I've, I think I've, I've identified three basic types of entrepreneurs and only one of them is really suited intrinsically to visioning. The first ones are the goal setters. They, they just love setting their goals. They're very disciplined. They need that discipline. It's very short term. And they find the idea of reaching out into the future, if you like, through the fog and onto the other side and being specific about that, that is too, they don't have enough control over that. So they tend to ignore it. They don't, getting there is too, there are too many variables. And I realized that that is a control question. They're, that they can't let go of that short-term control to allow their fantasy to describe what the future might look like. So that's the first lot. And I would say there's a, that's about 20 to 30% of the people that I've talked to. The, by far the biggest chunk are what I call the, the endorphin experts. These are the guys who are visionaries. They call themselves visionaries. Everybody around them calls them visionaries. And they are very good at pumping up the energy around some, some aspect of excellence. We're gonna be the best, we're gonna get there, we're gonna do this, we're gonna... And they can compact that into a slogan, which sounds like a BHAG, a big, hairy, audacious goal, but it's very mutable. 
And they're absolutely useless at real visioning because the one thing they never want to give up is their opportunistic ability to react to whatever's happening. So they say, how, the, how on earth am I supposed to know what's going to happen in five years' time? Because I might have all these opportunities and I don't want to tie myself down. And that covers about 60% of the sort of entrepreneurial type. And then you've got maybe 10 to 15% who are what I call purpose-driven. They have a, they've, they've got a very clear idea of where they fit into their market. They have a very clear idea of what their strategic purpose of the business is in order into serving their customers. They know the problem that they're solving. They know the value that they're bringing. And they know what they can what change they can affect over the long term. They understand that the vision is a crucial element of explaining to people what the transformation is that their business is going to, to be affecting over a longer, and they know they need time for that. So the planners, the goal setters, and the what, what most people think of as visionaries who are very charismatic, difficult to tie down they tend between those two that's probably takes care of i don't know 70 to 80 percent of most entrepreneurs and they find it really difficult to let go of those innate character requirements to actually go out into the future and vision it's my does that it's, make sense it well it's interesting um that second camp almost sounds a little bit like politicians for example but the uh what you're talking about lines up perfectly with one of the very first pieces of mentory type advice I ever got about the world of business. It was back when I just finished university and I was working for the Yellow Pages and I was excited because I thought that every business owner I was going to talk to was going to be like a Carnegie or a Rockefeller or a Ford, right? And one of one of the uh, older guys took me aside and he said, listen, kid, he said, a third of our clients own their own business because they can't find a job. A third of them own their own business because they can't keep a job. And a third of them own their own business because no one will hire them. It's, it's like the last 10% actually are out there trying to satisfy a market, they've, a need they've identified in the market. And they're trying to bring, you know, and they're trying to be well organized. He said, make sure your paperwork's in order and everything's signed. Like that, you know, that was his advice. And I've come to uh, over and over and over again. Um, whenever I present to a crowd of 20 people, it seems like two of them step forward because they want to do some further work on something. It seems like this one in 10 is a very common uh, result um, when, when a lot of different people are looking at the field of entrepreneurs. I can and, give you some statistics to back that up if I may. Yeah, sure. Um, the largest study ever done in Europe on small, medium-sized businesses did a, an industry-wide um, analysis of 10,000 businesses in every single area in the SME space and they by measuring their EBIT uh, margins. And um, in Europe, all businesses are mandated by law to, um, to enter their, their annual returns, a balance sheet and P&L and notes to a central registry in their country. So for the that's been that's been in place for about 10 years. So we've got 10 years worth of data that is accessible. You can access every country, all the data. It's fantastic. But very few people have ever been bothered ever bothered to look at the SME space because they, they look at public companies and nobody's really interested. But one university decided to look at this and see if they could find anything. And the results were absolutely f unbelievable and play right into your 10%. 66% of all the value created by small businesses is created by the top 10%. And all of it is created by the top 30%. So, and the, the average EBIT margin of the top 10% is five to 10 times that of the average in their industry, in, in all the various industry categories. That means that underneath the 30%, so the 70%, Half of them are breaking even and the other half are losing money. It's that simple. And so, they're on their way to extinction. You know, that's, is, where, that's where the statistics come from. But perhaps, you know, this is driving a subconscious awareness in that bottom 70% that they don't really need to worry about their exit. Because, <laughs> because they know that there's nothing there. 
<laughs> that may that I had never thought of it in that way, but you may be right. I have often said that a that a second great outcome from a conversation with a small business owner, the first, of course, is that they hire me and we do we do our dance. But the second is them coming to terms with the fact that an exit is not going to happen, and now it's time to look at things like retirement funds and how how am I going to make my goals happen outside of this business that I thought was going to do it. I, 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 David, I think, I think most are unaware. I think most owners believe this is coming. And to, to the point that, that Stephen's pointing out, I don't think we're suggesting that those outside of that 10% or outside of that core visionary group can't have access to this but rather that it's going to require a different path for them than those that are maybe orga organically driven to do it. Gets back to that question of intention. And, and I think, Mike, that's where, that's where we connected as well, is because my, my take from that statistic, that 10% are taking 66% of all the value created, in other words, operating margin, and 30% are taking all of it, my condensed um, motto from all of that was the re there is no sector in business anywhere in the world that where the returns to competence are as high as they are in the small business arena. In other words, just doing things reasonably well puts you ahead of most other people in the in in the business and puts you into that area where you're actually one of the people creating value right and right. and that is that's extremely encouraging you don't actually you don't have to be brilliant you just have to stop being crap <laughs> uh we've got we've got kevin uh, who's down in lakeland central florida wishing us a, a good evening hello kevin how are you tonight and i'll remind everyone else that if you want to pop some questions into the into the comments, we will be able to address some of those as we move on here. Um, Stephen, uh, there's five questions that you had jotted down uh, about thinking about vision. Uh, why don't we talk a little bit about those? Um, you know, how old is the business? What transformation are you looking to achieve? How well do you know your business model? Um, and there's a couple more. Is this sort of the starting blocks for somebody to create a vision? Well, I originally came up with those five because I was asked, I kept getting asked, well, how long am I supposed to vision out? Can I vision out five years or 10 years? And it's a little bit like a crane. Um, it's, a crane has a, a long neck or a, a long hoist. And the further it goes out, the heavier the base needs to be. Hmm. So as if visioning is the stretch of the crane into the future, the further you go out, the heavier the base needs to be. What does a heavy base mean? And those five questions are, they, they're the weight load on keeping your, your, you anchored so that you can reach out into the future. So the older your business is, the further you should be able to go out because there is less volatility of, around the probable outcomes. So if you're just starting up, your outcomes could be anywhere between zero in three months' time and Facebook. Right. And so going out seven years makes absolutely no sense because what do you, the, the probability of, of that range is far too wide. So the, the, the younger you are, the shorter the crane is allowed to be. However, there are a few other things that can balance that out. Number one, how clear are you on the transformation you're looking for to achieve for your customers or your market? In other words, how, what's the purpose of your business? If you're really clear on the purpose of your business and the transformation you're looking to, to create for your customers, well, then that can balance out quite a lot of missing age, as it were. The other thing that is critical is how well do you know your business model? If you don't know your business model very well, well, then you can't extrapolate it into the future because you don't know how the flywheel is going to work when you start putting size, speed, momentum on it. And if you don't know that really well, then it's very difficult to sort of send it out into the future because what are you going to be sending out? You're, it's too unspecific, the business model itself. 
third one would be how clear are you on your strategy and your focus in other words how well can you identify the resources that you need to create the transformation that you're looking for and lastly how enthusiastic are you about your business and enthusiasm can make up for a lot of missing if you like mm. assets and and specificity if you're really enthusiastic about the transformation about your business about your market about you what you want to do then also you can extend that a little bit further into the future but that's where i usually start sort of figuring out where do people score on those five metrics it's it's interesting that you we you talk about enthusiasm there uh, in the in the last question because when i talk about the the top reasons why someone wants to sell a business the number one most common reason that i came across when i had my brokerage open and today when i'm dealing with people that that want my advice the number one reason is burnout fatigue and boredom it's they are mentally checking out they're not interested and I find that that people who are very enthusiastic about their business, they're not interested in thinking about the exit because they've got that builder mentality in place. They're they're excited about the next uh, achievement that they're going to do, the next product, the next rollout, the next market, or, or whatever it is that they're going to do. Um, how and we all know that if you're going to exit a business, the time to exit is when everything's on an upswing, right? When you're growing year after year and everything's doing well and the profits are growing every year, like that's the time on paper that everyone's model will point the needle to the highest point for your for your business. How do you get someone who's really enthusiastic? How do you get them to realize now's the time to actually make the plan to get out of the thing that you love? Mike, I think that's one for you. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's a it's a great question, and I, I think the, the the truth behind it is that it's a it's a continuum, right? You just described somebody at, at the, uh, I hate this place end and somebody I never want to leave in. But most of us as owners are somewhere in between. And what, what fascinates me about those in-between folks is that uh, if we flip this thing on its head for a second, let's talk about people going out to buy a business for, for a moment, which, uh, David, you obviously deal with all the time. What do they run into constantly? Okay, they reach the, they talk to the person who want you know wants to get out. Ooh, I don't want to have anything to do with that. Those on the other end, yeah, maybe they're not interested in selling. So they're talking to the people in the middle, and most of those in the middle fall into the place where we titled this. Can you see your exit? They can't see their exit, even though they might be in a in a place where they're open to exploring it. I, I've had I've had owners. Uh, and I've had buyers who come to me and they talk literally about the owner's head exploding. It's like the buyer is speaking in a foreign language mm. and that the inability for the seller to have an engaging conversation around this, whether they're enthusiastic or not, is hindered by their, their inability to actually see how this transaction could transpire, how my life could actually be that different. And so I, I'm, I'm intrigued by that. I hate it. I love it range. But again, most are in the middle somewhere. And when you're sitting in the middle there, hopefully you're open to a little more open to the conversation than you are on the one end. We, we have an, an interesting question here from a viewer. Uh, CF says the best practices to approach the seller to negotiate. And I, I'm going to spin this a little bit with with the topic that we're using here tonight. Um, should we, if we're going to buy a business, be talking with the seller about their vision? I know that when I was uh, being trained as a business broker, uh, two points come to memory. Um, one is that we sometimes would ask people, what are your plans for afterwards? So that we could get them thinking about it because business brokers will all whisper horror stories of spending a huge amount of time and effort to secure a buyer for a business and have, you know, solicitors and lawyers and accountants and everyone having done their thing. And then the seller backs out at the last minute because they right. lack any sense of identity outside the business. They don't want to sell at the, at the 11th hour. Yep. So that's one thing we want to avoid. The other thing that I was, I was taught to do is to ask why someone needs to sell a business, not want, need. And it was, it was to see what kind of level of motivation really existed on the part of the seller? Was there something pushing them out the door? 
I, I think that if somebody goes through a process like what you're discussing, Stephen, they create this vision, they're going to be much more likely to not end up in that need to sell a business category. They're, they're going to be able to hopefully plan a more, um, you know, eloquent or graceful exit, which is going to give them a lot more opportunities and, and options in that exit plan. Wouldn't you agree? Absolutely. And Mike and I were, have been quite clear that the ideal visioning point is literally just past the sale of the business. It has to be close enough so that most of the vision is about what the business, what state the business is in when I left it yesterday, when I left the lawyer's office, having signed the papers and received confirmation from the bank that the first tranche of the of the of the purchase price had been deposited so the vision the vision has has got to have for for a small business owner it's got to have elements of what my life is like after the business but it mustn't be too far i mustn't be too far into my caribbean dream holiday forever that I've forgotten what it was like to run the business because the point of the vision document is actually to describe what a great state the business is in when when I've just sold it. Because what we're trying to do with the vision is create the end, starting with the end in mind, mm. to create the blueprint for a project management system that possibly can run for three to five years in which all the projects have come to fruition at this one particular point in time, which has allowed me to sell the asset that I've created through my concentration on becoming competent in business and creating an asset that somebody else wants to buy. That's the intention at the beginning of the process that the vision describes at its successful conclusion which is where Mike and I come together. Mike has, has his three things that every business needs to do in order to be successful and have an exit. And his fourth one is, and you've got to have the intention. None of this makes any sense if, if you don't intend to do it. The vision ties into the intention by saying, if you do intend to do it, then go out and describe what the end game looks like so that you can then have a change management process that brings you to that point. And perhaps just to finish that sentence off, or that thought off, a vision is nothing other than the inverse of all your problems today. And that's where I usually start. That's where we start with the visioning process is by getting people to... Oh. Oh no, we have a we have a here. Uh, let's let's tackle this while we wait for Stephen to rejoin. Uh, Paul over on LinkedIn asked a question. He said, um, "Do you find most businesses are not sale ready, no systems, and too much in the owner's head?" And I would say that um, yes, I would agree with Paul. And and this gets back to the motivations or the reasons for selling. Um, I mentioned that the number one reason why I, people told me they wanted to sell a business was because um, they were born burned out, they were bored, burned out, or had fatigue. But the other reasons were things like the need to relocate, marriage breakdown, uh, poor health, all of these sudden emergency personal motivations that cause someone to not be able to run the business. So now they need to sell. Yeah. Retirement was the one category that people have a better chance to, to plan for. And I see that Steven's just come back in. And I, and I think that, um, you know, the, the retirement motivation was the one where people came in, they had more of a timeline. I used to always actually say that the least motivated of my sellers were the retirees because they would usually come in with some kind of planning horizon. They would say, I'm planning to retire in a little while and I'd like to meet with you and find out what we're supposed to do and what I can get in order and et cetera. Uh, to the point of Paul's question here, and I'd be telling them things like get your systems in order. That's, that's why I created my small business system was because I was trying to help turn these things into more saleable pieces of inventory in my in my brokerage. And unfortunately for me, a, a few of those people, once they got those systems in place, decided that they didn't want to sell anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I, no, it's a great point, David. And I, I think it ties back to what Stephen was just sharing. I think 
the risk with an owner hearing um, you know, this three to five year vision is that they categorize it in their brain as, okay, three to five years before I'm ready to sell, um, I'll go ahead and sell or I'll go ahead and, in, you know, explore this process where you point out the reality, number one, that most owners don't sell at the end of some prepared process. They sell right. because they got a call from the doctor or, uh, you know, any of a number of things happened. To the point that Stephen just brought out, that's why I think it's so critical that this, this visioning, that this exit visioning that we're talking about directly straddles that I just sold my business and I'm in my business and happier than I've ever been. Because that we, we know that truth of that, that a sellable business is an ownable business. And so it's it's taking that path to address the, the things that Paul talks about, the systems, the uh, you know, I'm miserable, all of those things to create this sellable business, this exitable vis vi uh, business that you can see. And so uh, th that's what's uh, that's what's tricky about this, at least for me cognitively, because I want to I want to go, OK, I this is a three to five year process. I don't want to sell my business till I'm 65. So I should call you up when I'm 59. Um, that's not where we're at in this. This is about this is about taking that vision and making it a, a, something that improves your business, whether you want to leave it in three years or 13 years. I, I think it has to do with self-image as well. You know, if, if you are going to exist within the framework mentally of being the entrepreneur, the, the, the business person who wheels and deals and, you know, serves clients and everything, then this is just, it should be one of the plays or one of the moves that you're expected to make within the framework of that self-image. Yeah. And so it, it can't be something that people delay or, or put off forever. Stephen, you, you wanted to add something to that? Yeah. I wanted to mention my grandmother. Um, I have a, I have, a, I had a very eccentric grandmother. Um, and when she used to say sort of strange things. And one of the things she said that I never really took seriously until I started thinking seriously about visioning as a business process was, if you don't know where you're going, you'll end up somewhere else, which sounded silly to me because it doesn't mean anything. I just thought it was one of grandma's rather, rather eccentric sayings until I realized that there's a great deal of wisdom in it. And the wisdom is that the somewhere else is somewhere you don't want to be. Hmm. Even if you don't know where you're going, when you're somewhere that you don't want to be, you'll know that. Hmm. And so the idea of visioning being intentional about where you want to get, end up, because if you don't, then the likelihood of you ending up somewhere that you don't want to be is multiplied by factors. Yep. In fact, you will very probably end up somewhere that you don't want to be, but you will yeah. only recognize that you don't want to be there when you've, when you've got there and you've possibly looking across and thinking, why am I not over in that place? And so visioning in my understanding of the power of it as a leadership tool is not merely reserved for the exit. If you've got, if you think you've got 20 years to go and your business is 10 years old, you've got four, maybe five, five-year visioning periods ahead of you in which you are setting milestone intentions for where we're going to be in five years and then redoing the exercise every time you approach that new milestone. And what I found is that the companies and the leaders that do this actually arrive at that destination more or less exactly with six months to spare. That's my, that's been my experience of it. Well, I, and I think this is a great point to kind of, to kind of wrap this up because what you're getting back to is you're getting back to the very first comment about isn't visioning about life planning about, you know, life coaching and things. And, and the fact of the matter is, is that if you're an entrepreneur and you're involved in running a business, that business is a big chunk of your life. And so it's impossible to have any sort of reasonable life plan if you're not going to incorporate what it is that you do uh, during like you know a third to a half of your uh, a day every day. Um, it's all got to be part and parcel of the same thing in order to get you anywhere close uh, 
uh, to where you want to be. And uh, uh, Paul from LinkedIn, of course, chimes in. You have to have a plan and uh, tells us that he has sold five companies. And so he has a lot of experience in this. You have to have a plan. You have to know where you're headed. Got to be able and, to see the exit. And so well, with that, uh, Stephen, why don't you let us know where people can find you if they're curious to learn more or they want to reach out and make contact with you? Um, they can find me on um, uh, in LinkedIn, of course, mm -hmm. uh, where I have a, a slowly growing presence. Um, it's where I met Mike about six, seven months ago, um, been very serendipitous. So uh, look for me at Stephen Wilkinson on LinkedIn or go to goodandprosper.com. Uh, you can find us there. And Mike and I will be um, offering a, normally I do this visioning one-on-one -on -one with, with it. It's an expensive process. Um, Mike and I have been exploring what the best possible format would be to make this accessible to small business owners. And we, we have decided that a mastermind group with eight to 10 people over exactly the same length of time as it would take us to do a one-on-one -on -one vision, so around about three to four months, we think we will be able to give an almost identical degree of, of intimate support and structure to um, business owners wanting to go through that process for themselves. And we will be launching that over the next six weeks um, and aiming to start at the, at the end of March, the beginning of April. So okay. limit, and, limited places. Um, yeah. And Mike, where can people reach out and find you? I am active on LinkedIn. That's the best place to see me or check it out at exitoasis.com. And you can, uh, you can reach me there through the contact. So what I'm going to do is, is um, as soon as this live stream is over, I'm going to update the show notes for everyone who's watching this currently or in the replay. And I'll include the LinkedIn uh, URLs for both of you. And um, when you put your package together and you're, and you're looking for recruits, let me know. And I'll update the show notes again to put a link uh, to where people can find information about that. And we've got uh, Paul saying, great job, guys. And I couldn't agree more. It's been great to have both of you on. Thank and you. Um, I, I can't wait until we, uh, we get a chance to talk again. And for everyone out there who's tuned in uh, on LinkedIn or YouTube, I'm very excited because I had a huge milestone this weekend. Um, I was uh, 12 people away from getting 20,000 subscribers. And so I went to Twitter and I, I posted an image of my, my, my standing, you know, uh, 19,988. And I said, I've got a huge OCD problem, guys. Can you please? I need 12 volunteers to, to submit, to sign up <laughs> and subscribe. And, uh, and thanks to uh, to Twitter, we shot right past it. We uh, last time I checked, it was twenty thousand forty. So, thank you very much, everyone. It's I remember when you had a measly ten thousand subscribers. <laughs> I remember when I had three thousand subscribers. So it's it's uh, it's great, and I really appreciate everyone who tunes in. And uh, well, I'm looking forward to uh, to making a lot more videos. And uh, and with that, we're going to wind things up, and uh, we'll see you all soon. Thank you so much, David. Thanks. So how can you learn more about buying, selling, financing, and managing small and medium-sized businesses? Easy. Head over to my blog site, davidcbarnett.com, where you can learn more about me and how I work with my clients. You can learn more about my books and the online courses that I've prepared for you. You can find out about how to subscribe to my email list, the YouTube playlist, etc. There's literally hundreds of hours of content there, all for free, and I'd love for you to be my guest. Special thanks go out to Jeff Alpaw Customs for being my tailor. Men all around the world can look dangerous, just like me, with the help of Jeff Alpaw Customs. JeffAlpaw.com. Use the code DCB10 to save. They handle multiple currencies and ship anywhere you happen to be.